Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm very, very, very happy to be here with my friend and co-host, Steve Krupa. Hey, Steve. Hey, Tom. How are you? Good, good. How was your vacation? Did you have some t- good time off? Lovely. The Excellent. beaches are beautiful. Yeah, it was very nice. <laughs> it was very nice. My skin's all tan. Tan, rested, and ready, my friend. That's great. Ready to go. You can hear it in your voice in these, yeah. these conversations. Yeah, you're just totally laid back, whereas <laughs> before you were a complete spaz. But before we get into the, <laughs> into yeah. the conversation... I, I didn't want to let this opportunity pass to talk about the, the, the iPhone news. Did you, did you hear about the new feature that the iPhone has, the, the sign-stealing feature? No. Introduced by the No, but I, I – listen. <laughs> it, you know, here's the thing. If you're a Massachusetts sports fan, you really have to ask yourself about the ethics of, of your entire community, don't you think? Uh, I think sign stealing is a is a part of baseball. I think the Red Sox uh, – to answer your question, no, I don't think so. I think there's yeah. a – I think – you New York fans just don't like seeing us succeed, so you get the New York Times on our butt all the time. Well, what's interesting is, is I think the way they the the caught glory. them is they were videotaping their <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> baseball players, particularly Red Sox, are the brightest gentlemen on the planet, yeah. but, uh, but they can play ball, and it's going to be so a, It would be cool like if you went up to bat with like an iWatch on or an Apple Watch on, right? You know, it's got that vibration feature. Exactly. You could have a guy in center field with a pair of binoculars steal the signs, wire them into you, like vibrate once yeah. for a fastball, One twice bus. for a fastball, <laughs> three times for a slider. How or, cool would that be? Yeah, that would be great. Or maybe, so. uh, maybe Gary Sanchez can get one for himself so he knows what pitch is coming in. You <laughs> could actually catch it. How would that work? <laughs> Listen, we'll, uh, we'll take 35 home runs over 14, 15 passballs at any time. Very, so, very good point. That's a good trade-off. <laughs> well, All right, so you're in first place, so leave me alone. For Let's, now. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk again next week. Uh, but this week you're talking with Andrea Epolito, who is a uh, VA Innovators Network lead for the uh, for the VA. And uh, the it's, the VA is one of these these I don't know if I want to say it's a gorilla in the room, but it's an area that that healthcare is is in entrepreneurs have, have sort of addressed but haven't addressed. I know you have ex- have had some experience with companies that have done business with the VA. How is the VA viewed as a v- VC? Is it is it a, a seen as like a lucrative market or just sort of a, a, a um, Maybe a second thought. Well, I mean, first of all, from a standpoint of a of, a, of, an, of an environment where you can where you get sort of a, almost a purity of incentive alignment, the VA and Kaiser and some other type sort of integrated systems where they're actually providing the care and taking the financial risk um, are perfect areas to sort of test new technologies to see if you actually get you know the the, the benefits and the outcomes uh, that you're looking for. Um, you know, just as an example, you know, we long time ago in my uh, investing career, we invested in a company called Health Hero Network and had a product called the Health Buddy, which is was sort of like a pre-web browser uh, mobile phone product. But the idea was to connect a tool in a patient's home to ask them re- repeating wellness questions, so you, so you get a sense for whether or not they're improving or declining in, in health status, right? And, of course, that's a great product, but it's a really great product for the VA who bought a bunch of those machines, mm-hmm. but a bunch of those products, because they're, they, they save money if the veterans can stay at home versus in their facilities, right? And so, 
you know, and she, she talks about telemedicine and, and so forth, about how they've been innovators. And this is one of the first telemedicine companies, actually. I do remember that company. And, and, and they did. They are making a big deal of telemedicine. There was the press conference, yeah. I don't know if it was a month or two ago, where yeah. President Trump was there. And, and I don't know if there's anything particularly cutting edge in that presentation, but you can certainly see where telemedicine of all, of all stripes can really make a difference with the VA and, and most importantly with veterans. Well, I mean, but but specifically, they're very bottom line oriented. So if it's not deliver, if it's not going to deliver them the value they need, they're not going to try anything that they don't that that doesn't sort of pass the muster. Now, of course, the criticism of the VA, you know, some of that's been political. Some of it's about their service levels and so on and so forth. But the real criticism is, you know, does a government entity really function on a you know cost minimization uh, goal uh, approach? In other words, are they really trying to lower their costs the way, say, a private sector company mm -hmm. might. Um, and, you know, that's really up for interpretation. But the, um, the environment is perfect for VCs. And as we'll hear from, from Andrea, VCs aren't getting a lot of work done with the VA. So this is, uh, if anything, this, this interview should sort of uh, bring to the forefront the opportunity and the fact that VCs have not figured out how to sort of break through. And, and work with them as partners. And it's probably something they ought to look at doing. Terrific. Well, I hope, uh, I'm sure many people will, will find this useful. Let's get right into the conversation with Andrea Ippolito of the VA. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Andrea Ippolito from the VA Innovators Network. Welcome to the pod podcast, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, so tell me, what is going on at the VA? I mean, it, to, to me, uh, you know, the VA has always sort of represented uh, a very cool opportunity to do some experimentation with healthcare innovation because it is sort of a closed system. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the VA is the nation's largest healthcare system. And because we operate almost in a single payer model like system, uh, we can do a lot to better serve our customers who happen to be, I think, the most deserving and wonderful customers around and their families. And while VA was in the news a lot three, four years ago for some ways that we frankly weren't doing a great job serving veterans and their families, uh, the VA has been undergoing a massive transformation where we've been trying to flip our model and really use human-centered design approaches to really evolve and, and think differently and modernize our system to best serve veterans and their families. So, so just, out of, uh, just to put things in context, um, you know, our listeners have familiarity with the healthcare, health insurance and the healthcare system, et cetera. But uh, help me to just understand the, the notion of the, of the Veterans Administration benefits. If you have served in the military, when do your VA benefits for healthcare kick in, and what what are the, what are what are they, what what does those benefits cover? Great question. So the the answer to that question is that it depends on the type of service that you are involved as a veteran. But the VA provides three main uh, types of services to our customers. Uh, the first is healthcare, so the nation's largest healthcare system. Second is benefits, so things like education benefits through the GIB bill, home loan guarantees, uh, things of this nature. And then the third benefit is memorialization. So we have 
uh, a very large, if not the largest, cemetery system in the United States. And that's a benefit that veterans have. Now, depending on your level of service connectedness or um, the amount of disability that you have due to your service, um, depends on how much services you get in, in those three service lines. So the, the short answer is depends, um, but it's something that we're very committed to, making sure that we can serve as many veterans as possible uh, using uh, the best possible customer services and experience around. So just, just to use an example, and I'm going to focus mostly on the healthcare component of that benefit, but if you were wounded in service or injured in service or wounded in service and you come back and you become a civilian, do you then, how much of your healthcare do you get from the Veterans Administration? Do you get all of it? Do you get some of it? Do you only get healthcare related to your injuries or wound or, or disability exactly? How does that work? Yeah, the, the short answer, again, is it depends, but um, veterans within five years of coming out of the service get access to that health care and benefits. And in particular, if you are wounded and have a service-connected injury, then you would get uh, most, if not all, of your health care covered through the Department of Veterans Affairs. And it's your choice whether you would like to receive those services um, at the VA, if, say, you have a full-time job and you'd like to use your employer insurance, um, but what we're finding is many veterans do want to get their care and services at the VA. Uh, the good news is we're located everywhere, um, whether it's at 152 VA medical centers that are across the country or the over 800 community-based outpatient clinics. And VA is also one of the largest, if not the largest, distributor of telehealth services as well. We were an early adopter of that because of the way the system is architected and set up and because we have a really unique population that uh, lives often in rural areas and it's hard for them to travel three, four, five hours to the closest VA medical center. Um, so the VA has been leading a lot of work with telehealth for a very long time. Yeah, very interesting. You know, I was an investor in a company called Health Hero Network that I know did a lot of work in telehealth with the VA probably like seven or eight years ago. I don't know if they're still using their product. It was something called the Health Buddy. Did you ever see that while you were there? Yeah, we definitely did see that around and continue to see that around, I believe. Give me an example. Well, first of all, let's go back to, to, to a little bit of your background. Um, so you, you started out as an engineer. I guess you were um, bioengineer, right? So you've been involved sort of or interested in um, biology and healthcare for a while. What what uh, led you down this entire path of wanting to be involved in healthcare? Yeah, so I'm the daughter of two engineers, so it's it's in my blood. And I started early on wanting to figure out how could we use engineering and biology and healthcare to create better human experiences for patients. And so I was a biomedical engineer, and I first worked as a scientist at a medical device company called Boston Scientific, where we looked at the impact of medical devices on the surrounding cells. And after that experience, I really 
want to get more knowledge and more training in how to lead engineering teams and also lead complex systems. And uh, one of the most, if not the most complex gnarly system in the United States today is healthcare. So then I went to MIT and I got a degree in engineering and management. And while I was there, I caught the entrepreneurial bug and helped co-found a company called Smart Scheduling that was recently acquired by Athena Health, an electronic medical record vendor. And I just got really excited by the thought of bringing together engineers and entrepreneurs and clinicians and designers and scientists and entrepreneurial environments to really hack or um, or think of or tackle um, new solutions for healthcare's problems. And when I was at MIT, I uh, was a part of an organization and helped lead an organization called MIT Hacking Medicine, where we would run hackathons across healthcare. And a lot of times people hear the word hack and they shudder. But with engineers, hacking is a very positive thing. It's a positive force for tackling really gnarly, complex problems. And so we started running these hackathons in healthcare uh, across Boston and eventually across the country and then across the world in places like Uganda and India and, and Spain. And through that initiative, I got introduced to this program at the White House uh, called the Presidential Innovation Fellowship, which brought in external innovators, uh, engineers, entrepreneurs, designers, data scientists from outside the government into government to do a tour of duty. And I was lucky enough to be accepted into that program. And that's what landed me at the VA. And, and I, at the time, I was a PhD student at MIT, and, and I actually had to drop out to pursue. Um, and it, I've never looked back. It was an incredible experience to be in the government, and in particular, getting the opportunity to serve veterans and their families. Hey everyone, Tom here. Excuse this interruption, but I did want to remind you that the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is happening on November 30th in Boston. You should go to healthogy.com to sign up. This event has sold out the past two years and likely will do so again. So we want to make sure you are in the room when it happens. Another thing that will be going on in the room is we'll have a great conversation with Karen DeSalvo. Uh, we're very, very, very pleased to have her as a, uh, a keynote speaker, a keynote guest. And uh, she, of course, is the uh, former Assistant Secretary of Health and the former National Coordinator for Healthcare IT. She's uh, going to bring terrific perspective on what public policy will mean for the healthcare industry going forward, and clearly it will mean a lot. So you should be in the room when Karen DeSalvo sits down for a terrific conversation. Go to healthag.com to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's happening on November 30th in Boston. Now back to this conversation. So let's go back a little bit and talk about hacking for a second. So, you know, um, I love the word hack as well. To me, it's sort of like I think about hacking as figuring out how something is currently working and then figuring out how to make it work better. Maybe um, and, and maybe in, in, the, in, in the process of doing that, um, going back to first principles thinking as opposed to just sort of accepting the world the way it looks from uh, from your initial view of the situation and then and then making it better um so i'm curious if you if you like that definition and uh and then maybe if you don't tell me what you would what you would use as a definition and then i really want to know what how, how to run a good hackathon maybe you can tell me how to do that too 
Sure. Well, I really do like that definition. And the other two things that I would lay on to that is, is for hacking healthcare is really critical is, is engineers or a technologist not in a silo thinking they understand the problem to solve. And so when we talk about hackathons in healthcare, it's really important that you bring in the patient's perspective, their family perspective, uh, the clinician's perspective, along with the entrepreneurs and designers and engineers' perspective. And where I see the most powerful hacking in healthcare done is those that really take time to understand the problem to solve rather than assuming the solution. And um, secondly, bringing together those stakeholders that I mentioned earlier uh, to come together to solve the problem. I think that's really important. And, and third is taking a very iterative approach. So working with patients, working with clinicians, working with whoever the users and stakeholders are to co-design better pathways and then iterating on that design based on their feedback. And there's been a lot of studies that shown that projects that take this iterative approach end up doing a lot more um, being a lot more successful because they first have higher adoption of whatever they developed because it's truly being co-designed with the users and stakeholders that it's meaningful for. And secondly, you have reduced rework because you've actually been co-designing with users all along. And so you end up actually improving your bottom line as well. It's really interesting. You know, I, you probably know this being a, uh having a family of engineers. And by the way, it sounds like your parents let you become any kind of engineer you wanted. So congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> they let me become anything I wanted. And I, I, it was just in my blood. I, I was stuck. <laughs> I'm just joking. My father actually uses that joke with me that he let me become any kind of engineer I wanted to be. But because, um, of course, he was paying for college. But when I um, – it's interesting because the the original form of engineering was always spending an enormous amount of time on requirements and then building something and sort of unveiling a finished product, right? Especially if you think about uh, the automotive industry and, and other sort of more industrial industries, you didn't really see iterative design. We we are now sort of because of probably because of computing, uh, actually certainly because of computing and other things, the whole mindset of engineering has really uh, come to sort of a, a more the modern approach is iterative design. It is looking to get feet as opposed to sort of doing it on your own. It is looking to get feedback from customers in the middle of building something. Right. I totally agree. And it's funny when you think about engineering training 10, 15 years ago, it looks extremely different than what it is now because, folks now in engineering school and early stage are taught this mindset of co-designing and iteration and working with your customers to understand what their pain points are and what their needs are. So it's, it's, a, it's a much needed and dramatic shift. So um, in the company that I work with on a regular basis, we do hackathons, usually after uh, a major release of software. Um, I'm curious, tell me Tell me how you you think a hackathon should be structured, and uh, give me some uh, give me a sense for the the success that you've had and the ones that you've been involved with. So hackathons are a really powerful tool for bringing people together, and the most successful hackathons that I've seen, although there isn't any one recipe for holding one, but the ones I've seen be most successful are ones that last you know one to two days. 
um, and you're bringing together those diverse stakeholders in healthcare, that's patients, their families, clinicians, designers, entrepreneurs, and engineers. And you first start the hackathon with a leader or a patient perspective to really get everyone revved up and excited and really circling around the problem to solve. And so some hackathons have themes. So uh, at the VA, we recently held a hackathon focused on 3D printing assistive technologies for disabled veterans. Um, I've seen hackathons surrounding rehabilitation or diabetes. And so that first speaker should really get everyone revved up and excited and understanding the thematic problem to solve. Then the next part of a hackathon is pitches. Having participants come to the front of the room in 60 seconds or less, pitch the problem to solve. And this is really important that they only focus on the problem to solve, not on the solution. Because I think oftentimes we dive to the solution before understanding the underlying problem. In, in healthcare, we don't need more technology for technology's sake. We need real problems solved. And you time box it. And then third, what happens is teams organically form based on those pitches. And if you've done a good job curating the people there, those teams naturally should become balanced between the patient perspective, the clinician's perspective, and then those engineers and entrepreneurs. Um, so ideally, you want a mix of those stakeholders. And then fourth, the, the longest time period of the hackathon is really starting to drill down, understand the problem to solve, and then beginning to build prototypes based on those problems. Uh, so those are first draft solutions that you then get feedback from your users. And we encourage folks to get out of the building and talk to people that are potential customers or end users. And we like to bring in mentors, folks that are experts in this arena that can help coach them throughout. And then at the end of the one or two day period, they then have to demo or present um, what they've built. And usually this lasts two to three minutes and really show their panel of judges. Now, hackathons, while super quick, um, have had tremendous impact. So when I was co-leading MIT Hacking Medicine, um, a number of companies came out of that, including the company that I co-founded that was acquired and another company called PillPack, um, which has raised um, millions, dozens of millions of dollars to help reimagine and rethink the pharmacy experience uh, for patients. And uh, the way PillPack works, it actually mails you um, your prescriptions. You can order them online. And their goal is to really delight the customers and create a much better, easier experience um, to be at least disruptive on their lives. And the PillPack story is an interesting one because I think a lot of times people at hackathons think you need to build a, an app or an, a piece of technology. But what they did at a hackathon is build a cardboard box and really demonstrated that first draft use case and tested it with their customers. And I think that's really important in healthcare. We're not just about developing new technology for technology's sake, but really thinking about what does the patient need, what does the clinician need, and designing that right pathway or process or product or service to meet those needs. Very good. That's, that, that's awesome. Thank, thank you for taking us through that. So what is going on at the VA in terms of innovation? Um, so you've got, you've got sort of an advantage in that you're somewhat of a capitated network um, for some or all of the care for different VA members. Um, what are you seeing as opportunities for innovation there, and, and what have your accomplishments been since you've been there? 
And, and, and really, why don't we start with what's the approach to innovation probably is the, is the first question. It's a big institution. You've got innovation sort of implies small teams thinking about new ways to do things. How, how do those two things co- uh, coexist? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm based at an organization called the VA Center for Innovation, which is within the Department of Veterans Affairs. And VA Center for Innovation has been around um, a little less than 10 years. And we realized we needed to rethink how we were doing innovation about three years ago. Um, because VA has incredible employees that are still mission-driven. Uh, many of the veterans themselves, 40% are, are veterans, actually. And we weren't harnessing our existing brain power and capacity. And those closest to working with veterans every day who understand the problems to solve. So we designed a program called the VA Innovators Network, which was built by frontline employees for veterans and their families. And it creates a safe space for VA employees to test new ideas and join forces with the veteran community and co-design new, innovative, reimagined approaches for serving veterans and their families. And uh, the way we do this first is through teaching and training, so really trying to build the innovation muscle of the Department of Veterans Affairs. There's 350,000 employees across the country. So if we can arm them with the tools and skill sets they need to help VA modernize and evolve, that's a huge win for us. Um, Secondly, we wanted to create an innovation development pathway for frontline employees in collaboration with working with veterans. And the way we did that is through a program called the Spark Seed Spread Innovation Funding Program. And this is three tiers of funding to help support employees in their different innovation efforts. A spark investment, about five to ten K to help proof of concept. A seed investment, about fifty thousand to do pilots and tests of innovation. And uh, the third tier fund is a spread investment, which is about hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to spread things that are working. Because the VA is so large and so geographically dispersed, we wanted to help fund innovations to spread from one to the other so that we could truly operate as one uh, integrated healthcare system. And through that program, right now we're incubating 150 innovations. Uh, These innovations enter what's called the VA Innovators Network Accelerator, where we encourage employees to work with veterans, co-design their solutions. Um, They have to attend every other week webinar trainings. They have to submit updates on their progress. And the whole program culminates with a demo day, which is public facing for veterans, for the community, so that we can share these innovations and get feedback. Um, some examples of the innovations that have come out are, are um, a system called minimally disruptive medicine, where we're hearing from veterans that you know, coming into the VA and in general, healthcare is really burdensome on their experience. Uh, people have to take five to six to seven medications a day, and it's really disruptive on your life. And having to come into the medical center for an appointment, you have to take off work or travel in. So in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, we came up with a, a system called Minimally Disruptive Medicine that helps take that burden of healthcare off of the patients and works with patients to understand how to design a regime that works for them and meets them where they're at and to be as least burdensome as possible. Um, We also do a lot with 3D printing, Um, whether that's 3D printing assistive technologies that can help assist disabled veterans 
uh, get out of wheelchairs um, or 3D printed technologies that help radiologists, um, 3D print models to help improve surgery. So if they're doing a very complex surgery, they can 3D print a model of the brain and the tumor within the brain so that they can practice beforehand so that they get the highest outcome possible. Um, we also have another innovation called the self-leveling walker, which allows veterans uh, to travel up and down stairs with a walker that levels as we go up the stairs. And so we have an incredibly rich, diverse portfolio of innovations that have been truly co-designed with veterans, came from the needs of veterans, and our employees are taking the lead on developing. Awesome. That sounds incredible. So are a lot of the innovations more driven around um, the patient side of the business, or are you also looking at sort of the internal side of the business, how to make the hospitals and the health system run better? That's a great question. Our portfolio has both. We have a lot of what we call front-stage innovations, which are patient-facing. Um, a lot of these came directly, ideas came directly from veterans and frontline VA employees, and, and they've been really co-designed with veterans. We have a whole other set of innovations that are all about um, backstage processes, making VA more efficient and more effective, whether it's algorithms to better schedule ORs, or systems that can help better organize supply closets so that it makes us more efficient. Um, we have a number of, of backstage innovations as well. And when, when these innovations start to come to life, do you go out and pursue external capital from sort of the venture capital community for them? So we fund most of the innovations internally. Um, so we... Our focus is really on getting the solutions to veterans as quickly as possible and really co-designing with them. Um, so we mostly lean on internal resources. We also love to partner with private sector entities and academia and nonprofits to co-design these innovations. So we haven't leaned on the venture community that much, but mainly focus on uh, innovative partnerships and internal funding. So since you've been there, what What's been your most successful project in terms of this spark seed spread? I would, would imagine a successful project would be one that got spread through many of the hospitals. Um, what, what's, what's the one that's worked the best? So because VA is a large healthcare system and our program is two years old, we have one innovation that has truly nationally deployed, which has um, been deployed in two years nationally, which is actually um, a lot faster than rates reported in other healthcare systems. No, it's and, very fast. <laughs> yeah, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. And one, and that tool is something called referral documentation tool or ref doc and um, veterans and VA clinicians and staff um, were complaining that as we tried to coordinate care um, across VA to a private sector entity, it was often really hard to share those medical records so that, the care could be coordinated and comprehensive. So a provider external to the VA could have access to the records in an efficient way as possible. So um, a team of innovators, actually a frontline physician at the VA in Atlanta, developed a prototype that automated the delivery of records to the private sector entities. And traditionally, this was taking 20 to 25 minutes per patient on average to get their records, you know, faxed over, scanned over, and they brought this down to two minutes. 
And so it automates the process pretty dramatically. Um, then a team at the Portland NBA uh, said, oh, we love this tool, but it, we need it to be web-based and, and make sure it has, of course, all the right security and privacy measures. And so they made a, a very secure web-based tool that allows providers to VA um, to communicate and collaborate with private sector providers so that we could most effectively coordinate care and serve veterans in the community as well. That's pretty awesome. Do you have any idea how many FTEs that's going to save and, and once you get it all completely innovated across the system? It sounds like a lot. Yeah, there's estimates right now that on average it's saving about $3 million in time saved a month. Okay. All right, that'll pay for a new wing on one of the hospitals, right? <laughs> we hope that that money can then be used to help serve more veterans. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, very good. So where can people find out about your work? Do you guys have like a uh, – uh, do, you, do, you, do you have a Twitter account or is there a website that people can go to to find out what you're up to? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So we do have a Facebook and Twitter account. It's at VA Innovation. And also we have a media page where we share the stories of innovation at VA. And if you look on uh, medium.com uh, forward slash at VA Innovation, you can check out some great stories about how uh, new innovations are serving veterans and their families. And, and our goal is to really get the word out there so that we can co-design with more veterans and reach more veterans and their families. Terrific. Well, listen, uh, we're about out of time, so I really appreciate you talking with us, and uh, best of luck with you and your work at the VA. Thank you for the opportunity, and I hope you have a great day. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. Thank you, Andrea Polito of the VA. Thank you for joining us, for reminding us of the VA's importance to healthcare. Certainly uh, will be valuable insights and information for digital health investors. Steve Krupa, another great job leading this conversation. Thank you for the time and effort you put into this every single podcast. Finally, thank you, Breaking Health Podcast listeners, for joining us on this podcast. It's terrific to have you here. Please do tell your friends. Please do leave a, a comment and a ranking on iTunes uh, or whatever platform you listen to. Listen to this podcast, too. It's a great help. Finally, feel free to email me, tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health followed by letters E-G-Y. Healthogy is the producer of this fine podcast and the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on November 30th in Boston. This event sells out, so please do sign up sooner rather than later. We want to make sure you're in that room. That's it. Tune in next week for another Tale of Innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.